Miller, and Condon. Ken Miller. Oh, mama! Trent Condon. Score! This is Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Good morning and welcome in. Miller and Condon on the air with you here on a Wednesday as we talk the world of sports. Taking you up until 1 o'clock. A busy morning and afternoon of sports talk for you here on 106.3 KXNO. Well, it's been a solo edition throughout this week. Yesterday, had the opportunity to bring in some special guests, Tim Dwight, Tavian Banks, Rodney Filer. Big thank you to those guys stopping in for hour number two. You can always go back and check out the podcast on the podcast page. But with that going on, we go back to the Hawkeye realm today. He is David Eichold. You hear him on these radio airwaves, both here with us on Miller and Condon. You hear him on the drive with Heather and Sean. And he's joining me for the next couple of hours. Eichold, all six foot four of you. <laughs> What's going on, man? I appreciate you having me. It's uh, it's good to be here, man. I think this has been a long time coming for you and I hosting a show together. So it's, uh, let's have some fun. I'm ready for it, no doubt. We got NBA Finals Game 3 coming up tonight. Thursday, it'll be the NHL, the spring season. But... Of course, your forte is the Iowa Hawkeyes, and this is the time that is incredibly slow for most people (laughs) on the beat. But for you in the recruiting realm and what you guys do over at 24-7, this is a super busy time with camps going on, new offers coming out. This is, I mean, this is kind of the lifeblood of the football program, right? Not just Iowa, but across the country. What's happening at this time very well going to determine what the future of a lot of these football teams is going to be. Yeah, no doubt. And I do not envy my colleague Sean Bach, by the way, because he is just going to be nose to the grindstone, at least for the next month. And keep in mind, Trent, especially when you look at Iowa football recruiting, that third week in June is typically when Iowa hosts all their commits. They host a lot of their top priority targets, and that's going to be no different this time around. June 23rd to 25th is going to be a very, very busy weekend for Hawkeye fans. I know Sean and I are going to keep everybody updated on that. But Iowa's 2024 recruiting class is looking very solid especially in the in-state you look I believe they have I think eight of the top nine right now committed to the Hawkeyes I mean they've certainly dominated right there and I know Kirk and company are going to look to continue to add to that it's a top 25 class right now but as you mentioned there really is no off-season trend especially you think about conference realignment you think about with NIL you think about the two transfer portals the same off-season that was four or five years ago it's nowhere near what it is now there really just is no off-season anymore that's what it is and it's pretty incredible you know Iowa State here our market's a lot different and I, I need to explain this a lot of times to people from the east side of the state. You know, where I grew up back in the 80s, it was all Hawkeyes. Even though Ames was a little bit closer than Iowa yeah. City, it was just a different time period. All the Iowa basketball games were televised at the time. It was the only sports, if you didn't have cable, that you could watch during the week was Hawkeye hoops during the winter. And that's how I became a fan of the Hawkeyes. And then when I went to the University of Iowa, well, just weren't a whole lot of Iowa State people over there. And really outside of Cedar Rapids and, what, a couple of the engineering jobs there, there just isn't a huge contingent. Sure. When you come here to the capital city, it's completely different. I mean, it is nearly a 50-50 split. And Iowa State, you know, the way the programs have gone, they've been quite a, kind of quiet. University of Iowa, though, there's always something, isn't there? There's always seems to be a story <laughs> yeah. that comes out. And, and for people that are in the content business like you and I are, it is definitely great to have the University of Iowa. Even when they're at times maybe putting their foot in their mouth or doing some things that are not exactly great. 
they always give us content. No, no doubt. I mean, you look at the new athletic director when Beth Getz starts on August 1st. I don't know if we'll have as many PR blunders to really talk about here, Trent, <laughs> compared not. to what Gary Barta had. That was not his uh, specialty. But yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it always seems like there's one or two just massive storylines throughout an offseason. They sort of track over the next few months, obviously, when, when COVID shut everything down, the racial discrimination lawsuit. And something that I think got swept under the rug was Luca Garza's decision to come back. Like Being close with his camp, there were a lot of people that thought he was going to leave Iowa just due to the uncertainty uh, but he ended up coming back obviously had a massive massive year Keegan Murray Chris Murray their stories and now just with Iowa having more of a pro presence in the NBA side of things it's been really cool to just sort of watch the Hawkeye fans mm-hmm. really start to rally around the Sacramento Kings and rally around some of the players that are now playing in the NBA and you know, try. I know. You know, Kenyon Murray. I don't think he'd hate this, but I also think he wants Chris to carve his own path. But there's a lot of people projecting Chris to follow suit and follow his brother to Sacramento right now, too. You know, that would be so interesting to see those guys back together. I mean, you think of what recently the Morris twins and when they've been together yeah. and things like that. So definitely something. Did that Brooke could and Robin Lopez ever play together in the NBA as well, or are they separate? I don't believe they were. I don't think together. they did, but no. I was thinking about that the other day too. And those two twin towers at Stanford, man. Yeah. What a one-two punch and what could have been, perhaps, <laughs> get the right guard play around them. Going to be uh, really fun to see. So that leads to, I think, one of the biggest stories that remains out there right now as it pertains to the Hawkeyes and certainly on the basketball front is Grant Nelson. Yep. We've talked about him a lot here on these airwaves. He is one of the top transfer portal candidates, not just available, that was ever in the portal. That's how good he is. I think the Athletic had him at number three. Saw ESPN had him the number five overall prospect that entered the portal Throughout the course. Yeah, 24-7 has a number three as well, I believe. Top rate overall prospect available. He is six foot eleven. He can shoot it a little bit from the outside. He's springy. He's got some bounce to him. I mean, he would be custom-made for what Iowa has done recently with both skilled fours and, of course, big guys with Luka Garza. It feels like he would fit in incredibly well. Offensive system makes sense. The Swarm Collective has a little bit of money to throw around. Maybe yeah. not at the same level as some other places, but... We're not talking pennies on the dollar here, but from the latest reports that I read from you guys over at Hawkeye Insider, it sounds like right now Iowa at least does not have a visit set up with him. So here's the latest. I mean, you and I talked about this on Friday. Things were looking good. I know Iowa's, Iowa's camp felt really good about Grant Nelson potentially visiting, and I think something that really shifted in this recruitment trend was Jordan Walsh from Arkansas ended up declaring for the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Shocked a lot of people because, personally, I didn't think he was ready. I think Arkansas didn't feel he was ready, but that gave Arkansas another scholarship, and they essentially played the same position. Mm-hmm. Jordan Walsh, Grant Nelson. So, Arkansas has an abundance of NIL money. I don't think people realize how much money is thrown into that program. Well, so money, remember y- people. Yeah, so I think once that sort of happened, Arkansas reached out to Nelson, and Iowa, I do think, is going to be a groomsman in this recruitment. First up to the altar, maybe. The last one to leave, certainly, <laughs> as Grant Nelson is probably going to walk elsewhere. But the interesting part about it, too, is I confirmed it yesterday. Baylor, who was thought to be a front runner by some, at least in Iowa's camp, and a couple other places as well. He ended up canceling his visit to Baylor yesterday. Hmm. So now it's down to a two-team race between Alabama and Arkansas. And look, I have no problem with players going to get their money. Grant Nelson, I don't know how his game will translate the NBA. I think he's an NBA caliber player. I think he's a really nice player. 
but he's an outstanding college player, and if he can go get seven hundred fifty thousand to a million dollars elsewhere, nobody can blame the kid for going to do that. And Alabama has those that sort of money, and as does Arkansas. So it's down to a two team race. Iowa tried hard to get him on campus, but I do think Nelson decided, you know what, I want to wrap up my recruitment a little bit quicker than I thought. So Iowa did all it could there. I know people get tired of saying that, yeah. But Iowa really, really wanted him, but you know, right now I still think they're I still think they're a piece away. I'm right there with you. In fact, I, he would have been a piece that would have, I think, pushed them back to be an NCAA tournament team. No now doubt. with him seemingly off the board, I know they're going to keep trying, and probably the likelihood of him coming on a visit is not very high. But maybe he goes down to Tuscaloosa and doesn't get the vibe, or go, makes his way to Fayetteville, and it, it just doesn't feel right. Maybe that thing could open back up. But that aside, they still have an open scholarship. We know that they're going to continue to look to see what's out there. But I want to go this direction with you. Fran and the portal. He's tapped into it. He's tried. Yep. Is it lack of finances or is it he absolutely needs to find the right fit? He's not just going to go out there and bring in talent to bring in talent that he cares more about fit than anything. So if you had to say one or the other, I know it's varying (laughs) degrees of both, but what is the biggest detractor right now of Iowa in the portal in basketball. Man, you're making me pick one. That's tough. Because it it truly is a combination of both. But if I had to pick, I do think Iowa right now, I just don't know how much they can financially compete with in Alabama, with in Arkansas, with basketball-only schools or schools that prioritize. Like, there's people should not be upset about that because... You know, Creighton, for example, even UConn, like UConn mm-hmm. football, NIL, nobody nobody cares. It's always going to be about basketball. And Iowa is a rare fan base that equally care. I still believe they equally care about football and basketball. I know it's hard to sell out Carver-Hawkeye Arena on a Wednesday night, you know, 8 p.m. in the middle of winter. Um, but I do think Iowa basketball fans are very, very tapped in. But I do think right now it's finances. I think that's going to continue to change maybe over the course of the summer, maybe hanging in next year. They'll be in a little bit, bit of, of a better position. But I do believe Fran gets a little bit too much criticism because I do think if you thought you know football tampering was out of control, Trent, you've been in this business mm-hmm. much longer than I have. Basketball tampering oh. is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Well, I can take you back to the mid-aughts and Marcella Somerville, who ended up over yep. at Bradley and helped take them to a Sweet 16. And everybody from the Alford staff all the way down will tell you that was tampering to the nth degree. That was almost 20 years ago. Yeah, no, and it's just become more increasingly prevalent, I believe, as well. But Fran's also a big culture guy. And the other thing is, and this is where I don't blame him for having this strategy now i don't know how much that translates to success trent Mm -hmm. but based on interviewing him the people think that fran is opposed to the transfer portal or nil he's not he's made that very abundantly clear but to his point he said he's not going to pay a transfer more than a chris murray when chris murray was at iowa because chris murray's been in iowa's program he's proven it and a transfer is coming in yeah they've proved it somewhere else but they haven't proven it there and again, I don't hate the strategy, but I understand if you're an Iowa fan, might, why that might be a little bit frustrating. But Fran's ultimate goal is to keep the locker room together, have the right fit kind of guys, and he is always picky about kind of who he reaches out to. But I'd also push back on this. He reaches out to more than he gets credit for. I mean, Iowa likes to keep things under the radar because they want the prospects that they reach out to and that's known they reach out to to feel that value of what it is to get pitched at by the University of Iowa. And I understand that as well. 
David Eicholt hanging out with us here today as we talk a lot of Hawkeyes, but we got plenty of other things we're going to get into. Of course, the big news in the sports world, the merger of the Live and the PGA Tour. We will get into that. Matt Rudy will join us. Coming up to kick things off here at about 11.30 and then the 12 o'clock hour. 12.30, it'll be David Kaplan in his standard Wednesday spot. Well, we got people coming in with questions already for David Eicholt, and you can do the same at 284-5966. You got any Hawkeye or whatever related questions. Is he really 6'5"? I don't think so. I think he's 6'4 and a half or something a little bit deeper. I can't we, believe this has lingered on this long, Trent. Thanks, thanks, Kayvon Merriweather. <laughs> That's right. Let's get out to the fold lines right now. We got Troy on with us. Troy, you're on Miller and Condon. What's happening? Great show, guys. David, I had a question about um, Brock Harding. I, I grew up in the Quad Cities area. been watching a lot of Illinois basketball. We always get both Iowa and Illinois. But what he did and what he did for his team, is he underrated? And seeing a, a, a point guard do that in the state of Illinois at the highest class, it's pretty impressive. So I wanted you to talk about him and his teammates. Yeah, uh, I think that's an excellent question. And something like that, too, and I get it from a ranking perspective. Like, he is a little bit undersized, mm-hmm. no doubt, but the kid's a gamer, Trent. I don't know how much you've been able to catch his film, but he is a flat-out gamer. He The reason why he got the Iowa offer is because he increased his three-point efficiency throughout his final year. He's very crafty, very quick. I do think that he's going to have defensive struggles translating the Big Ten. I think he needs to put on some more strength. But as far as the guy that you know is going to bring it every single possession on both ends of the floor – you know, de- continue to develop into a good shooter. He can make things happen. He's cra- and you, if you're undersized, you have to be crafty around the rim. And I mm-hmm. think he's really done a nice job of developing that. And to Troy's point, in Illinois, that is an outstanding, outstanding state for high school basketball. And for him to really step up in the way he has. And he wasn't playing 1A basketball. No, no. He was playing high, high level. And mm-hmm. I've been told, you know, behind the scenes when he scrimmaged with Iowa guys, I mean, he's standing out. I don't, I don't think it's a sure thing, Trent, that he redshirts. Oh, wow. And I think that could be something interesting to watch. I think it's could be interesting to see how much DeSante Bowen develops mm-hmm. over the course of summer. I think that could play a big factor. But then you look at, is Frank going to throw in Tony Perkins at the one? Is he going to throw Josh Dix at the one? And I've been told, I've reported this on our message board a couple weeks ago, there have been practices where Josh Dix has been the best player on the court. And I think people kind of underrate him heading into this season. But Trent, to me, it was a miracle he even played last season. Oh, absolutely. It's unbelievable to me that he played after that devastating injury he had a senior year of high school. You saw what happened in that game. Council Bluffs, and they're up 15. It's in the fourth quarter. You just hate to see that happen. That was a big-time injury. And not only was he able to go out and give them some minutes and give them quality minutes, I I thought the game and the comeback against Indiana at home, he was a huge part of that. Didn't turn the ball over, which is the best thing he could do. And it was a game that they were really struggling for long, and he got them settled down, and he was running point at times in that one. There are times that he was playing with a point guard out there. He was playing with Eulis a couple of times, yet he was still controlling the ball. He is a guy that is more than just a combo guard that really is a two-guard that in a pinch can play the one. And I, unfortunately, I think that's what Tony Perkins is. You, you can do it five, six, eight minutes a game at most, but that's about it. I think there's more than Dix's game. And to see where he was in the rehab, to think of the explosiveness, that's another thing. This is not Josh Oglesby. This is a guy that had some bounce to his game. Yeah, I mean, there was athleticism when he saw him before the injury. I think that's going to come back. It's a really exciting time. Kind of the same conversation. Sure. And no, here's the thing also, too. I double-checked Fran in the... I think in the summer months we interviewed him. He said, oh, yeah, no, I think he's going to be fully cleared by September. And I said, you're talking about Josh Dix, right? <laughs> right. And he said, and he just fly out, yeah, 
Yeah, of course. He's he's been phenomenal in his rehab. Like it's, it sounds exactly like for him. Yeah. Phenomenal. Got to got to throw the phenomenal in there. The tremendous, the yes. phenomenal. He's got great stuff. They run great stuff. Yes. The Franisms. <laughs> they are plentiful, no doubt. Sante Bowling. Yeah. So this is an interesting one. When Fran got him to commit, this is a guy that he targeted early. This was a guy that was a fringe top 100 player, but certainly top 150 player. But usually when Fran targets a guy early, he's got a pretty good track record. Even the guys that don't end up at the University of Iowa, he's done a really good job of identifying talent, even under the radar talent. And after he committed, got really excited, and then talked to a few people in the AAU scene. And one thing that was mentioned about him is they were worried about his toughness. When things didn't go well, how willing he was going to be to to dig in. Respond to the adversity. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the questions that it was. It wasn't an ability thing. And this season didn't play nearly as much as I anticipated he was going to. I think everybody thought that too. I mean, even people within the program and me. I know when I think there was a stretch of what two or three games where he didn't see the court yeah. at all and I think a lot of us kind of raised eyebrows about what was going to happen, but Fran was flat out he had just admitted, you know what? I should have played him. Yeah. I should have played him more. And I think he kind of knew that he may have you know, I'm not I'm not putting this on Fran and I'm just speculating here. I think that stretch really really ruined any confidence Bowen had mm-hmm. in the season. Yet he came out there in the NCAA tournament game against Auburn, gave him a couple good minutes. He was able to do some things, and for a lot of guys, it'd be very easy to sulk, put your head down, put your shoulders down, saying, I'm getting out of here, I'm transferring. Yeah. He stuck it out. Is the anticipation in the Iowa basketball program that DeSante Bowen is going to be the starter, though, at least at this point at point? I don't think so. Really? I don't. I think Josh Dix is going to start point guard this year. So we're looking at Dix, Perkins, McCaffrey, Sanford, and Cricky. And Cricky. That's probably what I would anticipate off the top of my head. But I'll also say this, and this this might be my hot take. I know, shocker, right? I have a hot take, Trent. <laughs> Ready for it. Price Sanford's going to get minutes this year. Price Sanford, I think, is going to have 10 to 15 minutes this season. I think he is a different player than Peyton. I think Peyton <laughs> yes. could be a, I think Peyton's going to be a top-five scorer in the conference because I think he is absolutely just going to let it rip from three-point range. And he's got the ultimate green light of probably anybody in – Fran's era. Fran's never been shy about it. Mm-hmm. But Peyton's also one of the first guys I've seen taking that green light so early in his career and just let it, you know, just rip it. So I think Price Sanford could have a say in there as well. But I do think the X factor, it's Bowen's play. If he if he balls out in summer, I think he could start. But again, it, it's good. A lot of things are going to hinge on the way Bowen develops, and that includes Brock Harding's red shirt. Because I won't be surprised. I do think he needs to put on some weight, he needs to put on some muscle, etc. But is he going to redshirt? How many minutes is Price Sanford going to get? Because he could play one to three, yeah. maybe guard a small four, right? Um, and then, yeah, and then if Perkins is going to run the one as well. So there are different a variety of weapons that Frank could potentially use, but that also comes with a lot of question marks about the style that this team is going to want to play. So of that freshman class, a couple other things. Harding's teammate, Owen Freeman, at yeah. least for the final year, transferred to East Moline to finish things up. Uh, what do we know about, like, how quickly is he going to be able to be good to go? I mean, do we yeah. <laughs> anticipate kind of that slow build because he had good offers? You kind of look at the offer list compared to the rest of the class. It's really, really good. So what do we think about him? More of a developmental guy, or can he give them a good 8 to 12 minutes a game this season? I hate to say it, Trent, but it's summer. I mean, it's all going to be about it. But the one thing I will say, just watching him, he is so efficient, mm-hmm. and he's a good defender. 
And I know Iowa fans might be what? praising the heavens right What's now. That? I know, blocking shots. But the thing that really impressed me with him, he was just consistent. You knew what you were going to get out of him, game in and game out. And as much praise as Brock Harding got, and rightfully so, Owen Freeman was really, really good coming down the stretch as well. But I know how many minutes is Evan Braun's going to give Iowa? How many minutes has Ben Cricky? Is Iowa going to play small ball? Because if they don't want to play as much small ball, then you're, I think you're going to look for Owen to get some minutes. And, you know, if Iowa's too small, Trent, they might be forced to play Owen Freeman. Because with all due respect to Riley Mulvey, I just I don't know if he's going to be able to contribute at a high level. I, at this point, I just I, I don't know what I'm going to, you know, Iowa's going to be able to get out of him. And the last guy that nobody's talked about and played in one of the best AU programs in the country is Laji Dembele, mm-hmm. the last member of Iowa's 2023 class. I don't know how much they're going to be able to get out of him this year, but that's going to be a guy that if he develops correctly and he reaches his potential, he could be an all-conference caliber guy. I think he's just a very, very unique prospect that Iowa's got. But as far as Freeman goes, we'll see what happens this summer and if he can sort of body up Cricky. I think Ben Cricky is going to be a perfect guy to kind of go against, especially on the defensive end, because he, if he doesn't get you any buckets, Trent, but he gets you a putback or two and rebounds and you know alters some shots of the rim. I think it's all you you you're thrilled if you're Frank McCaffrey and you get that out Freeman as freshman year. And I really like what you get out of Evan Bronze coming in for a season, yeah. perhaps two. He is a guy that you kind of look at the numbers seven and five for not a very good team. Like, eh, all right, what, what's he going to be able to translate? He's springy. He's yep. got athleticism. You see the highlight reel. There's some monster dunks. Saw the same thing at Iowa City West when he was there. Now, I liked it a whole lot more when it looked like they were going to get him as a walk-on as opposed to a scholarship guy, but hey, if they're not going to fill the scholarships, absolutely fine with him coming in. He's going to be, at minimum, a competent backup big and something I think they're definitely going to need for this season. Well, it's not going to be all Hawkeye talk today. <laughs> we got a few other things that are going to get into. We will talk Iowa football a little bit later on as well with David Eichold, who sits in with us today. But, David, I want to get your perspective on this. The big story in the sports world world is of course the merger of live and the pga tour we got matt rudy coming up here at the bottom of the hour and we'll talk with him from golf digest and get the latest on that front but i said it yesterday when i opened the show so i get the little alert on the espn app i thought my phone was hacked because i thought there was no way something like this could happen i didn't see it on twitter first that's where i went right after i got the alert but it just seemed completely out of left field something that was at this time unbelievable I thought a story like this, we would have months and months of lead-up and rumors and innuendo that would ultimately maybe led to a merger. But the way that it came down was incredibly shocking. Everything that Jay Monahan has said, he is looking absolutely terrible. The it makes the Rob PGA, Manfred look amazing. Do you know how hard that is to do? It's impossible. Unless you're Moynihan, and that's where we are. But just your <laughs> takeaway from that yesterday, I don't know how big of a golf fan you are. I love golf, love the PGA Tour. And uh, it, it just absolutely blindsided me yesterday. When it's when they outwardly say it's not about the money, Trent, what's the only thing it's about? It's always about the it's money. It's always about the money. And if I'm Roy McElroy, I am so sick right now. Mm-hmm. What do you get offered? $150 million to go over to that live tour? And he said, you know what? Nope, I'm going to stick with the PGA. Yeah, yeah, yada. A lot of the live guys were still able to play in the majors while collecting an absurd amount of money overseas. And the thing is, I think the PGA, I love golf, like you, Trent, mm-hmm. but they lost any shred of credibility with me. And if I'm one of the PGA members and one of the players on it, I am just infuriated in a lot of words that I cannot repeat on radio right now because the way they found out was via Twitter. They had no inklings of it leading up to it. And it's just 
it's sort of just a, a giant finger, I think, to every golfer that's on the tour, Trent. It, it's, it, it, I did think it was going to happen eventually, but you can't look at what the PGA commissioner said a year ago and then you just look at the way it is now. It's insane. I think somebody tweeted this out, and it's the perfect sum-up of it. The Office. <laughs> the Michael Scott Paper Company yes, being absolutely. bought out. I'll make another, another. I'm like, there is n- the Office predicted the future. Absolutely. It was so funny. Yeah, I was uh, sitting in with Sean yesterday during the drive, and uh, he <laughs> played the clip of that one. It was, it was incredibly correct. Absolutely perfect on that front. So Rory talked to the media here this morning. Um, oh, I didn't know that. A couple of quotes coming out as he is one of the few top players that are playing up in the uh, in the Canadian tournament this weekend. <laughs> Here's one. At the end of the day, money talks, and he'd rather have them as a partner. He's exactly right. The litigation that was going to be getting set up here, and I'm going to guess in discovery, we're going to discovery, that the PGA as a tax-exempt organization <laughs> did not want things out in the open. Yeah. They knew that that was going to be bad for them. And secondly, you can't win a legal battle with an entity that has, for all intents and purposes, unlimited money. You can't win against the Saudi backers. And because of that, they realized this was our best course of action. Was it handled correctly? Absolutely Absolutely not. not. Well, especially the comments by Jay after, and this is something he told CNBC, the game of golf is better for what we've done today. I mean, it's it's absurd. Just I I get he has to say that because there's no other way you can phrase around it. Right. But again, just the way people need to realize this in the sports world. And I know maybe if I was in the same position, I wouldn't be as transparent. Transparency is key about this entire thing. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that the golfers didn't know. I think that's the worst part, not worst part of it all. But from at least the player's perspective, there's no reason why they shouldn't have been roped into it. Think about Tiger Woods too, Trent. I mean, are these contracts were they fully guaranteed contracts if they got bought out by the PGA? Would they are they still getting paid what they I were worth? I think they're fully guaranteed. Tiger Woods was offered eight hundred million dollars, and he would have had to do nothing but rehab his back and maybe play a tournament or two. Rory five hundred million. Oh, was five hundred million? Yeah, that is the estimates that are out there. One more from Rory. Quote: I still hate live. I hope it goes away. <laughs> I love him. I absolutely love him. And I've never been a monster Rory fan, but the way that he has handled things, the way that he has been the mouthpiece and taken this thing head on, a lot of I like how he's not shying away. Absolutely. Just double down, dig your heels in. Usually it's a bad thing, but given the context of this entire situation, I think you have to tip your cap to him. Uh, No doubt. I'm right there with you. That's David Eichholt, Trent Condon with you. Miller and Condon here on 106.3 KXNO. We will dive a little bit deeper into this front. We'll go to the front lines. He is Matt Rudy from Golf Digest on the beat for over three decades, and we will get the latest on what is happening. How contentious was the meeting last night between the golfers and Jay Moynihan? We'll talk about that with Matt Rudy when we come back here. Taking up until 1 o'clock, it's Miller and Condon on 106.3 Into the Game. Wednesday, Miller and Connick continues 106.3 KXNO. Ken's sojourn out to California continues. Got David Eichold hanging out with us here today. Talk more Hawkeyes with David coming up a little bit later on in the program. David Kaplan in his normal Wednesday spot at 1230. But right now, time to talk about the biggest story in the world of sports. It's the merger of the PGA and the Live Tour along with the European Tour. And joining us right now, longtime writer at Golf Digest, he is Matt Rudy. Matt, 
You ready to break this thing down? What? Canadian Open odds? You ready to get into it? <laughs> no, it's just a nice, quiet day in golf. You know, just a, it's a, just a new... It's a new sponsorship deal. I don't know what the big deal is, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Just a very simple, simple equation, and yet here we are. So, Matt, the parts, there's a lot of parts of this, and that's, I think, what makes it such a compelling story is there's so many angles. The problem, or not even the problem, just the question that continues to pop into my head is how this came together, how this happened and how it happened this quick, quickly and how some of the newsmakers in the golf world how this information didn't get out. Take us in kind of the timeline here. And this has been conversations that has been happening for weeks, not days, how it all came together. There's no question that there are lots of parts to it, but I think there's only one element to it, which is money. Mm -hmm. And, And I think when you look around the world of sports, everything from NFL to Formula One to Premier League soccer, you know, the way to supercharge the exposure of a sport is to inject it with a massive amount of capital. And the, the tour was looking at it saying, all right, what's the end game? You know, are, are the, are the people we're competing against, are they ever going to run out of money? Are they going to stop spending money? And if the answer to that question is no, then there are only two options. And that's to raise as much money as you can to duke it out or to come up with the, the best negotiated settlement to infuse that money into your system, giving up the least amount of control that you can get away with. So I think the, I mean, the, the rhetoric was so strong on both sides. And I mean, you have the commissioner of the PGA tour saying that, you know, at least our players can sleep at night. They're never going to have to be asked, you know, if they're you know ashamed of the league that they play for. I mean, that's, that's a little bit different now when all of a sudden your main sponsor is the, you know, that those are the people that you were, disparaging all, all that time. So I think the big question now is how much of that posturing over time by everybody was a, a gear to try to get the best deal. But, you know, I think inevitably, I think in my, in my seat, it was inevitable that there was going to be some kind of conclusion where some, some piece or some deal was made, but I don't think anybody thought it was going to be right now this fast. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point, Matt, that you bring up about, It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And, you know, just in- injecting some capital into it. I mean, I'd say the same thing for, like, women's college basketball. You look at what happened with the more exposure, and obviously Caitlin Clark here in Iowa was a big reason that a lot of people tuned in. But just from your perception, it's way too early reading. How would, I mean, just from the golfer's perspective, I mean, how have they sort of reacted to this news? I know Rory gave some comments this morning, but from all indications and everything I'm read, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a total blindside for members of the PGA Tour. I think it is a blind side for the players, uh, and and I think if I put on my business hat for a second, there is an amount. Uh, there's an amount of secrecy that has to happen as you're trying to negotiate a deal. You know, mm-hmm. if, the, if it if there are leaks and things like that, it becomes more difficult. But just to say that you know, Roy McIlroy or Tiger Woods or those people, you know, the the, the major faces of the PGA Tour, are you know, didn't have any idea 
you better be pretty sure that this is a good deal. If you're going to do something, then have to to tell those kinds of uh, stakeholders about it at the last minute. But I mean, if, if I'm if I'm guessing, I think the the fire hose of money that's coming is going to. I mean, they're, they're going to be some really upset, annoyed players, but it's going to be hidden in a in a in a literal fire hose of money that's cascading <laughs> down on the whole sport here in the next couple of years. It's, I mean, to, to the point that it's it's very easy to conceive that this new this new umbrella organization could simply say to somebody like Hideki Matsuyama, who gave up three hundred million dollars sure. by not taking a live deal, okay, how about if we just write you a check and wink, wink, you have to come play in an event in Saudi Arabia next year. I mean, they they can they can solve a lot of that, a lot of the the opposition by getting out a checkbook and. For a company, for an organization that has $620 billion, that's not really going to be an issue. (laughs) Absolutely not. So last night there was a conference call and a face-to-face meeting with the players that were up there in Canada getting ready for the start of the tournament tomorrow, along with people that weren't there on Zoom with Jay Moynihan, the commissioner of the PGA. Matt, what have you been able to ascertain what came out of that? And at least from the reports that I've seen, a lot of angry golfers in that one. Yeah, I think what what the, the, what I would equate it to is is, I mean, I, I guess it's not a breakup because he still works for the PGA Tour, but I think it's one of those adages where if you're going to break up with a boy or break up with a girl, you do it face to face and not by text message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think he went up there to to stand in front of people because, you know, as the leader of the organization, part of his job is to is to take those arrows from the people on your you know in your group. I mean, just look at the bad press that all these different tech companies have gotten over the last few years where they do mass layoffs via zoom or, you know, sending out an email. Yeah. I think part of leadership is, you know, you, you've got to be in the office to make the deal, you know, and, and to inject cash into the organization, but you also have to stand in front of people and hear what they have to say. And, and I give, you know, a lot of the players credit, they were angry, but they also, I think one of the consistent lines coming out of the meeting was, you know, all of the information is not available to us yet. So, I mean, this on its face, there are there are things that we don't like about this, but let's reserve judgment and see what this actually looks like because you do have to turn your head the other direction and look, for example, at what's happening in Premier League soccer and Formula One when, you know, somebody comes in and has the resources to, to do anything they want to do. You know, all of a sudden you have soccer players making you know, three or four hundred thousand dollars a week, and you have uh, you know enormous new Formula One stadiums being built, and 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 I think everybody wants to in the in the back of their mind wants to see what could happen to tournament golf if there was basically an unlimited budget to present it and in, in, in any way possible. I guess for me, Matt, does it I mean just from reading Twitter, reading all the kind of public outrage, is this going to be a short term loss just in terms of popularity for golf? Or is this, or is there just too much money right now that really is not going to impact the sport whatsoever, even from a public perception? Because you talk about a PR hit. I think there's been 95% of people roughly that I think are just kind of blown away that this has happened. But as you mentioned earlier, I think it was always kind of in, inevitable that was going to happen. I just didn't think it was going to happen quickly. But do you sense there's any, I don't want to use the word panic, but just from your perception about how the public's going to look to the PGA Tour. I, I say this as somebody who's firmly inside the little fishbowl that is, you know, professional golf or covering it or whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's there's reactions to people inside our fishbowl, and then there's the 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 eyeballs that the the Saudis and that the PGA Tour are really after, which are you know tens of millions of people 
who are very very casual golf you know they might not, they might watch one or two golf events a year right sure now. and 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 those are the people there after the whole reason Liv did the team thing and, and you know changed to the shorts you know all, all those things were geared to make professional competitive golf much more dynamic to happen in a shorter time window much more interesting to people that were not regular traditional golf fans i think you're exactly right that a lot of the perception of what's going on by you know really hardcore american golf fan is negative but i think the greater long-term play they see is worldwide how do we make this a much bigger Mm -hmm. thing and, and, and also, the Saudis have different goals beyond just getting lots more eyeballs. They're, they're trying to build golf courses and housing development and diversify the economy over there. And this is very much part of a big you know, social diversification play where the, the amount of money it makes isn't necessarily the only barometer of if it's successful or not. Sports washing. And that is a term that has been uh, certainly one that we've learned a lot more over the last 18 months or so with everything that has happened with that. So... You talk about the money, the money aspect to this. What about the guys that didn't take the money? The Rory's, the sure. Tigers, and on down the list. Some of the top 20, 30 players maybe that had opportunities, could have made the jump and didn't. How are they made whole? Is there going to be some kind of financial package that is put there and saying, sure, we're not going to make it completely right, but we're going to do something for the guys that stayed and kept the PGA Tour afloat? Well, and like always, Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods and John Rahm, you know, the, the famous top-line players, they, they have leverage still. If, if they decide they're not going to play in, this, in this, uh, this structure, they can, they can make the, the same kind of demands that you know, the top soccer players are making, and, and, and that's why they're, you know, Lionel Messi's getting the money he's getting to go sign in, in the MLS today. So they still have that kind of leverage, and yes, they're gonna they're gonna make that money back, whether it's the amount they could have captured from live. I don't know that, but but the pool is gonna be bigger overall for them in the next ten years. The the people that are never gonna get that money back are the kind of mid range pros that might have been offered ten or fifteen or twenty million dollars. You know, the deal that Pat Perez got, for mm-hmm. example. I mean that that was a once in a lifetime payout. That if you're a mid tier PGA Tour player who may or may not be able to stick inside this top 70 that they've got going on now, I think that that was your opportunity to win the lottery. And that, unless you actually win the lottery, I think you're out of luck. (laughs) Makes a whole lot of sense. David, anything else for Matt Rudy? I'm still just trying to unpack everything that's really unfolded over the past 24 hours, I think. You know, just I'm very interested. And maybe you can answer me this, actually, because Trent and I kind of touched on this before we brought you on. For the for the players who did sign with the Live Tour, are those contract? I don't know if you know this, but are those contracts already guaranteed? Or are they going to be fully paid out? It depends. The, 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 several of the contracts, Phil Mickelson's, for example, is longer duration. You know, some are four and five years, and and those contracts have various terms and how much have been paid out yet. My understanding is, yes, the contracts are going to be paid out. And also that when they, if there is a path to go back to the PGA Tour, there's going to be some kind of fine or, or some kind of payback of some of that money that that you know greases the path to come back and play with the you know with the rest of the players. Now, if if you signed a two-year deal or and and you know you've you've collected all that money or you're or you're about to collect all that money, and 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 that's gonna you're gonna be made you're gonna be fully paid out. So. Um, it depends a lot on the particular contract you got. 
But I, I don't see a scenario where someone like Phil Mickelson, who was one of the bellwethers for why this all happened, yeah. I don't think Phil Mickelson is going to walk away from this and, and you know essentially get cut halfway through his deal. Matt Rudy from Golf Digest. Matt, we'll talk again next week. Quick hitter as we make our way to L.A. after the Canadian Open. What's the U.S. Open going to look like next week? And we know well, what the storylines are going to be. Who do you like? Whose form are you liking as we get ready for it here in just eight days? I was going to say Rory, but I don't know if you can bet on it. I mean, Rory's got a lot on his mind, but I'll be out there. I'll be able to check. I'll be able to check it out and give you a, my, my. I think I on the the show we did after the Masters, I picked Max Homa. I'm going to stick with that pick, right? Well, I hope so because I bet Homa to and every major back in January, and uh, so we still got those sitting there. I did the same with Scheffler and waiting for one of those to break through. But hey, I got it last week. I had Victor Hovland 23 to one last week. So golf betting's going well for us over here, Matt Rudy. Hey, I got Brooks Kepka to for the U.S. Open before he won. The I think my my odds are probably a little bit better. I got better ones when I put money on him than you would get this week. That is a good one. We'll talk to you again next week. Appreciate your time, Matt Rudy. You bet. See ya. Thanks, Matt. Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, a Michigan State grad, by the way. There, I Colt. Okay. Big Sparty fan. Big big Sparty guy. That's how I will open up their Big Ten home schedule. You a believer in Michigan State? No. Big step back last year under Mel Tucker in year two. No, I mean, the, here's the thing. There's been no more absurd contract than I think the Mel Tucker, what he got. He got carried by a great Kenneth Walker and a good offensive line that season. But I think what we've seen now is what Sparty's going to be. I mean, Grant, the Big Ten East is going away after this upcoming season. But I think it's going to be tough for Michigan State to really kind of get back on that path of, I think it was what, Mark D'Antoni when they were – what, 9, 10, 11 games a year for a mm-hmm. while? I mean, he put together a tremendous program there. I just don't see a scenario where that ever happens again. Well, we're going to talk more Iowa football with David Eichel. we got a lot more still to come. We'll get into Chicago sports as we do each and every Wednesday as Centurion Stone presents our conversation with David Kaplan. That comes up at 12.30. Quick timeout. We'll continue on the other side with more. David Eichel, Trent Condon, hanging out with you here on a Wednesday. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. Hush on your side. Continues 106.3 KXNO. Ken back with us on Monday as he is in California. David Eichold is here, and that means there'll be no breaking news with Iowa Athletics. Isn't that the way it works, Eichold? <laughs> Dude, it's unbelievable just the way, again, that whole thing started. I mean, the bachelor party, of course, the weekend I'm gone. Caitlin Clark gets the buzzer beer against Indiana. <laughs> Iowa has the Michigan State comeback, the Fran McCaffrey meme of the century, I think, with him <laughs> staring down the official. And then, of course, when I'm in a wedding in Dallas, Caleb Brown commits. Iowa got another, I think, Bodie McCausland, the offensive lineman, committed as well. And it's not the first time that good things have happened to Iowa when I've been out of state. So, Trent, people have joked about so many times while starting at GoFundMe just to keep me out of the state. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 funny, but I I did kind of warn. I think I was on with Heather and Sean on the drive, and I said I'm leaving. There's going to be something that happens. Just watch, and of course, all of that just unfolded. Yeah, everything breaks and everything goes down. <laughs> well, so uh, a couple of news and notes. We had a caller a little bit earlier off the air that had called in and was wondering about Iowa football and the potential of. Terry Roberts. If people miss the story, Terry Roberts, former Iowa cornerback and a special teams ace, he entered the portal. He had some things to say on his way out the door, ended up at Miami, 
Never played a game with the Hurricanes. He is back in the portal. Any chance at all or too many bridges burned on his way out of town? I would say too many bridges burned. Trent. I mean, you look at his comments on social media. Yeah, I think he was really well liked at Iowa during his time there by his teammates, etc. But I also think this, just given some of the verbiage from it, mm-hmm. and I don't want to sit here and just incite that I know this for a fact. Trent, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Iowa really wanted him to come back. Yeah, to be honest with you, what was it? Injuries? Was it the way that he handled injuries? Was I, it I would a think, malcontent? I would say maybe it's a little bit of both. But the thing that makes me believe that, remember, heading into that Nebraska game, and he he's asked about Terry Roberts. He said, "Yeah, this is Terry's final year with us, mm-hmm. despite Terry right. having another year of eligibility." So everybody was kind of sitting back, thinking, "Oh, he must be turning pro mm-hmm. or giving up football." And then he transfers to Miami, and then Miami, I think, took six or seven defensive backs in the transfer portal something absurd so i know iowa fans i know iowa athletics wants another cornerback i think josh wallace they're one of their top transfer targets from umass just committed to michigan this morning Mm. and that third spot's still kind of up in the air but trend i'm maybe it's kind of 50 50 on our board but i have a very very hard time seeing iowa welcome back terry roberts and again that's not an indictment on him at Mm -hmm. all i'm not saying that but i'm speaking strictly from the iowa coach's perspective so how about this, Eichholt? Uh, we know that they've been looking for another cornerback. That's kind of the final piece, if you will, yeah. of what they've been looking for going back now months in the transfer portal. A, at this point, how many portal guys are out there? I mean, how empty is that cupboard? And secondly, is I was still involved in looking around? I think they're still kind of looking around, but I think Iowa should not just take a guy to take a guy. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds scary, but I mean, you look at some of the guys in the room. I mean, I'm still a big believer in some of the young guys they have in the room. It's still a very talented secondary, Trent, but there's just not a lot of proven talent. Like, I think Cohen Entringer is going to be a guy that people are really going to like. When Iowa got him late in the same uh, recruiting class as Xavier Wampa, I said Cohen's probably my favorite under the radar. He might be my favorite signee, and that mm-hmm. included Xavier. So I think he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. Deshaun Lee. I think there are pieces there for Iowa to really, really make some noise. But at the same time, like Cooper can't go down. Jamari has to be – there's a lot riding, I think, on Jamari Harris too because I think – I if you look at his 2021 film, I think he was on pace to really break out during that 2022 season, Trent. And I still think you feel pretty good about Iowa's secondary. Yeah. But you cannot afford an injury there. I mean, I, I hate to say it because I was talking about with Bud Elliott – the 24-7 Sports Summer School, which will come out in probably two weeks or so. And he asked me about the biggest drop-off from starters to backups. I mm-hmm. said there's two position groups. One, wide receivers, because if Caleb I mean Caleb Brown, Nico Regani, and then Deontay Vines I would throw in because I have a nice year. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the walk-ons, who I think are the backup, because you don't want to throw in the true freshman. Cornerback's probably next. Yeah. And that's not an indictment on the younger guys, but Jamari has all-conference potential. And I think Cooper DeGene, I will put it on record right now, Cooper DeGene, if he gets enough opportunities thrown to him, Cooper DeGene will be the Jim Thorpe Award winner in the 2023 season. You know, with Cooper, it's so interesting as they're looking at portal candidates. And I've had this theory for a while. If they would have landed somebody good, somebody that they believe could have been a starter alongside Harris on the other side, that Iowa and Phil Parker believes that Cooper Jean's probably best position isn't cornerback. It's that slot corner. It's that inside guy because of his tackling ability. He's likely going to be a safety at the next level. You look at the PFF numbers, him as a slot cornerback are through the roof. I mean, one of the best, if not the best in the country. If they said, hey, if we get the right guy, 
We're going to do that. He's going to become our cash, a different type of cash than what they have right now, and we're going to go that route. Any validity if they would find that right cornerback? You know, I I think that's a very interesting conversation. I think it's an interesting debate, but I think Cooper proved too much as a corner. Mm -hmm. I just don't see how you move him off the ball. I mean, off the corner. But another thing I would push back on, Trent, Sebastian Castro played outstanding against Kentucky, and I know that Mm -hmm. Kentucky offense was abysmal. (laughs) I mean, it was like Iowa level worse in that bowl game, right? I mean, they had no threats whatsoever, all the opt-outs and everything. But I think about two plays that really showcased Castro in that game. They both came in the first quarter. Quarter. Castro made an awesome open field tackle on third down to force the fourth down. And I think the next drive, he was pushed about 30 to 40 yards down the field, had a great pass breakup. And if he can continue that momentum, which he did into the spring and really ball out in the summer, I just I think Sebastian's time is kind of, come i think he needs to be able to play that cash position and we're also going to see how great does iowa feel about linebacker are they going right. to play more of a four two five? i think nick jackson is very undervalued nationally about what he's going to be able to bring to the table very productive linebacker jay higgins has a lot of potential mm-hmm. as well so it, it, it'll be very interesting to see the kind of pieces but i know a lot of people kind of were up in arms or couldn't believe phil parker so the defense could be as good as last year i think statistically they could match up to it or at least be similar but i also believe they won't be on the field as much as they were last year i think the offense will be able to sustain more drives it's an exciting time uh david as you've got to know me i'm not exactly an optimistic guy as it pertains to the hawkeyes (laughs) and and teams that i root for in general i'm pumped up about this team i think they have a real chance of making a deep deep run not just getting back to the big 10 title game Maybe the pieces are there to finally unseat wow the the wolverines i thought i was gonna give the highest take of the hour 10-2, 10-2, and two, I can see it, and not like two years ago against Michigan in the title game, a real <laughs> opportunity to pull off a win. Uh, off-season conversation's always fun. One hour down, one more to go. David Eichholt and myself, we're going to get to know David a little bit better. We hear him talking Hawkeyes. What's behind